This week, we'll talk to a company that has found an unexpected market for its engineered sunlight. Plus, we take a look at recent developments in the innovation ecosystem. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. And I'm Faiza Ramji. And this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Hi, Faiza. I'm thinking about pivots this week, which is a bit of a cliche when you're talking about innovation and entrepreneurship, but it's like an actual thing that happens, right? Yeah, it is, it is definitely a thing that happens. And, you know, people use that term uh, a lot with me and, and what I did with Field Notes, you know, kind of starting with a snack food, then going to a dairy alternative and now ending up in the liquor space. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, people talked a lot about pivots too. And um, mm-hmm. I think they're necessary, but sometimes maybe they don't feel like a pivot, rather they feel like maybe evolution or maybe, you know, um, something that's a little bit less intentional even, um, and just being aware of what's happening in your surroundings or, or in your market. So they are interesting and I think they happen for lots of reasons, but some of them are good and some of them not as good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I was thinking about pivots because I just had this conversation with Ryan Tucker of G2V Optics, uh, which was founded in 2015. His company develops and builds LED solar simulation. So it makes light that is as close as possible to the actual light that is emitted from the sun based on technology that was invented by the founder and and CTO um, of G2V, uh, whose name is Michael Taschuk. So if you have technology like that, there's like some obvious applications, at least to me, like agriculture or indoor farming, that kind of thing, and renewable energy. Um, But it turns out, I found out, is that they found a much bigger opportunity in a completely different field. Well, I'm I'm definitely intrigued to hear because I know of G2V um, from a while ago, and I know what they were initially doing, and I, I haven't been keeping up as much with where they're going. So I'm really excited to hear your conversation with Ryan, but also I think we're, we really underestimate the power of light. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just the, the age that we're in or what it is, but it seems like everywhere I turn, I'm learning about a new company that does something so interesting with light and uh, mm. there's so much more to it than just what we see or you know thinking about the colors uh, i know everyone's concerned about blue light and yellow light and this and that and you know i think uh i think light is just so much more interesting and more complicated than we than we know so uh yeah i'm, I'm curious where are they going <laughs> you'll see here's my conversation with ryan tucker of g2v optics Hi, welcome to Bloom, Ryan. Thank you for having me, Karen. I think we should start just like with the very basics. Explain to me what G2V Optics does. G2V, I like to think that that it kind of is in our name. And if you're uh, somebody who pays attention to space, uh, our sun at the center of our solar system uh, has a, a type G2V star. It has to do with the age and the size of the star, basically the, the the color and the heat and everything, the light that we receive here at Earth is because it's a G2V star. That's the, that's, that's the star class. And so we named our company after it because the core thing that G2V Optics does is replicate sunlight for some of the most important applications in the world. And that really goes back to testing and developing solar cells, uh, to agricultural applications, and, uh, and, and space exploration. 
when I look at your website, you've got two products. One is the Pico Solar Simulator for small areas. What would be some applications of that? So when you look across the whole value chain of something like uh, a solar cell, uh, there's, there's kind of research and development, there's scale-up manufacturing, um, and then all of the, you know, the actual testing, installation, and, and things of that nature. But a lot of these technologies, and I'll, I'll use solar cells as an example, start off with new materials development uh, and what we would call like coin-sized form factors. And so there are thousands of labs around the world uh, stocked with PhD scientists. Lots of these are at universities, research institutes, and private companies that are developing new and more efficient solar cell materials to create that will ultimately scale up into solar panels that we can use for greener energy in the world. Um, and all of that starts with these tiny, you know, square centimeter sized samples of, of nanomaterials and semiconductors um, and things of that nature. And so currently G2V, we create these highly controllable light sources uh, that have software controlled and exceptional precision to across this life scale. So we provide a lot to universities and people who are researchers developing new materials, as well as to, you know, people to then developing those technologies into what we call something like a plate size or a wafer size uh, of those same solar cells. And then even we work on some projects that have gone up in size from there. So testing these on complete satellites or entire solar panels uh, and things of that nature. So our Pico is the kind of the baby version. It's called, the, sometimes I'll, uh, I'll say it's the, the world's most expensive flashlight. Uh, <laughs> wonderful software controlled flashlight size light that, um, that replicates sun basically and you know a square inch of sunlight and right. uh and then we have our sunbrick product which is a, a modular tileable version that goes um you know about a, closer to a square foot um and and then some work up from there so is it just scale that's the difference between the sunbrick the bigger sunbrick and the pico that's that's primarily it yeah so we we generally talk about all of this with our um as our it's our engineered sunlight platform Right. Um, and, uh, and, and we work across different, different size scales, different precision requirements and, uh, and some different application spaces with it, but it's all software controlled. Uh, it's all, you know, amazingly precise in terms of the output, uh, and, and the capability that it has. Well, let's talk about a really interesting and unexpected to me, at least application for that, which is, uh, space. And, um, I understand you've been working on something with NASA, so. Tell me, what, yeah. is, what are you doing there? Well, I'm so excited to be able to talk about this. Uh, this is a project we've been working on for, I think, close to two years now. Uh, and uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, and you know, we, we, we talked before this, uh, we finally got the green light from NASA's Office of Communications to be able to talk about it publicly. But uh, essentially, there's a, a NASA project, uh, which is uh, happening at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in, in Maryland, uh, and it's for the OSAM-1 mission, which is the, the, the on-orbit servicing assembly and manufacturing uh, mission, which is basically for the first time ever going to launch a satellite uh, that's going to go up and robotically refuel and improve the lifespan of an existing satellite, you know, some existing satellite infrastructure. And that satellite was never designed to be serviced. So it's, you know, robotic satellite uh, and in orbit manufacturing that's going to right. be accomplished. So, um, you know, this is this is a mission that's set to launch no earlier than 2026. Uh, but for that team, they have this mantra that it's uh, you know fly as you test, test as you fly. Okay. And uh, and and so essentially, what that means for them is that 
this mission spacecraft and all of the robotics, the cameras, the sensors, uh, the, the power systems, they're going to test it in the most realistic conditions that it's going to exist in uh, while it's up in space. And and so in order to do that, they need something that can replicate sunlight, which for those of your, your listeners who are aware, sunlight is, is different in space than it is uh, on Earth's atmosphere, just like it's different at different locations in space or different altitudes and all that complexity. And so We've created, uh, you know, NASA approached us in a market research phase that had to go through a really extensive federal government procurement uh, and all of the, the details around that with, uh, you know, defense and aerospace contracts and uh, ultimately to be chosen as the provider of this uh, substantial contract uh, to participate and, and help these, this, this project team with lights that are the size of a 14-foot bus that they're wow. going to put their mission craft underneath and test it for the next four years uh, until until launch. So your stuff's not going to space. It's going to be the creating the the light under which they're going to be building and testing the thing that they're sending to space? That's exactly it, yeah. So, so we don't put anything to space, but we're creating all the photons to make sure that everything works when they send it there. Wow, that's cool. And what's the timeline on that? Now, by, by the time that we've actually got uh, <laughs> the approval to talk about it, um, it's already it's already there. We're heading there uh, in the coming weeks to commission it. Uh, wow. And so it's all been designed, manufactured, tested, shipped. And uh, and so, yeah, our team of G2B folks will be heading, looks like, yeah, in, in the next six to eight weeks to go and, and complete commissioning so they can start using it. Amazing. Yeah, it's been about a two-year road for us, uh, and uh, yeah, we're really excited because we've been kind of had to keep this under our hats. And uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a huge project. It's uh, and I, I think just a yeah, fantastic feather in the cap of uh, of everybody in our team who worked on it, and, and I think an awesome thing for Edmonton and our technology and mm -hmm. space as well. Well, I want to ask you about Edmonton and space, but this isn't your first foray into this the space space so to speak right so, that's right what else does gtv do around with aerospace companies well so so we actually have had um work with nasa before this is obviously this is a, a substantially larger project but um some some other nasa laboratories use things like our sunbrick product uh to to test and and simulate you know biological simulations under different possible moons um, and things like that where we're replicating the potential spectrum of other stars uh, and things of that nature. We, we also um, work with a number of aerospace companies, the National Center for Space Studies in France, uh, CNES, and, uh, and working on their 2024 Martian Moons Exploration Mission. So again, providing equipment to simulate our sunlight, to simulate that total environment that all of their their sensors and solar cells are going to operate under so that they can develop their satellites, test their systems um, to the level of precision and confidence that they need. It's, re it's really exciting for us to be able to, you know, we kind of get to peek behind the curtain of these really interesting and exciting space exploration missions before they become public, which is a lot of Yeah, fun. no kidding. Yeah, it's like you're, you're living in uh, science fiction a little bit. It does feel like companies like yours and Wyvern are putting Edmonton on the map when it comes to space-related innovation. Like, are are we a player? Do you think? And if so, why? That's yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's it's interesting. I you know I I'm a big fan of Wyvern and everything that you're doing. Uh, if you look two years ago, I I don't think that we would have said that G2V or Wyvern were really were you know as companies 
playing substantially in that space. So I think that they're two quick and fast moving players. Uh, to say that Edmonton has a, an entire space economy, I think we're not there yet, but I'm excited about our future there. It it just goes to show that companies like ours can work with the world-leading institutes, um, engineers, astronauts, um, and, and, and programs in, in aerospace. Mm-hmm. I, I think that most people traditionally wouldn't think of Edmonton as a place that produces this kind of technology. And so, yeah, I think it's a, a story definitely worth sharing. For sure. Space is not where you started at G2V. I think that if people know about you, they might just think that you are um, providing the lights for indoor farming. So tell me a little bit about like where you started and how you got to space from there. That's it's it's, it's a great question and, uh, and and something that we come across fairly often. And so so G2V uh, was founded in 2015. Uh, Dr. Mike Taschek, who you know many folks probably know, is founder uh, of, of G2V, still presently our, our our CTO and one of the business leaders. And uh, and Mike had invented this engineered sunlight technology to replicate sunlight, you know, software driven, super precise. And one of the applications that he saw was food production. This was the advent, you know, scan back in your mind seven years to where vertical farming was at that point and discussions around how we're going to feed the world in 2050 and many of these problems that still do exist in the world. And and Mike saw a great opportunity to use algorithmic lighting and monitoring and all these things to improve the efficacy of vertical farming. And so that was the thing that G2B really, really focused on um, in in our early days. You know, I joined in uh, in late 2017, and we spent a number of years working with customers, commercializing and across a range of crops: you know, vegetables, lettuce, uh, cannabis, saffron, uh, tree seedlings, all sorts of you know remarkable things. And and also have this, you know substantial work with a group at the University of Alberta working in, in plant physiology. And at at the end of the day, we from a technical perspective, did remarkable things. Um, we were able to grow 30% more biomass with the same amount of energy uh, and, and and really improve what was possible by using the complexity of our of our technology. Uh, but we realized that, you know, we're we were too early for that market. Still the bulk mm-hmm. of, you know, indoor farming, vertical farming markets are are not yet ready for that depth of technology and it's still just such a such a nascent industry um, that's dealing with its own its own challenges around scaling and things like that and so as a business at the same time that core technology was being so quickly and naturally adopted by solar cell researchers by aerospace companies doing the testing we just talked about um, and it became really clear to us that the fit for our technology now was in this more technical, you know, material science semiconductor space where the applications were new solar cells, aerospace testing, uh, and things of that nature. Uh, you know, we, we, do, we do some really interesting work with major companies, you know, that do, you know, that make smartwatches and things of that nature to test all of their sensors and power devices and things like that. And so we all of a sudden started working in this this the sector with this more complex requirement that was a perfect fit uh, for what mm. we had developed and and I think you know a, a lot of probably startup and tech businesses listen to this podcast and that's that's the traction that you're you're looking for right your uh, your job as a startup is to find that fit and it wasn't exactly where we thought it was but we were I, I like to think smart enough to uh, to listen to it and uh, and and to chase it when we found it 
That does seem to be a common story, whereas like we were trying to sell this thing and we kept getting like distracted by these people saying, but why don't, why don't you sell me this thing for this? And you've got to listen when the customer's yeah, coming. That's right. Is, do you think uh, indoor farming can be a thing? Like, is it, is it something where the challenges can be ironed out? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think a lot about the hype cycle uh, or gardener's hype cycle, right? When we take a look about, you know, kind of, the, you know, su super hyped, the trough of disillusionment. Um, I think that absolutely indoor farming has, and, and even more broadly, I would, you know, indoor farming is kind of the very specific, we think about these uh, containers or, you know, using a high rise building or a parkade to turn it into stacks of lettuce. Think Controlled environment agriculture is kind of the the umbrella that I put a lot of this into, and uh, which you know, in some cases is highly controlled greenhouses, in other cases is full fledged vertical farms. But I, I think it's a absolutely already is having commercial impact in some subsectors and will continue to grow. But I, it's um, the readiness for really high technology in that area, um, and the the, the possible speed of adoption and the understanding of standards and things like that just takes time. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think until we, you know, there's, there's still a lot of learning going on in that industry as a whole. And at the same time as that, I think if you look around Alberta, there are probably about a dozen indoor farms that sell to your local grocery store, to your like main name brand grocery store that you can buy a, a carton of kale or lettuce or anything like that that was grown 15 kilometers from where you're standing indoor using 95% less water and it's not news. Uh, yeah. And so there's kind of like, there's, there's a couple of places where it's actually broken through and um, actually just kind of hit the boring point where you're just saying, Oh, this is great lettuce. I like this brand, but without yeah. actually even connecting that, uh, that, that it's happening, it already has a place. I think it will continue to grow and have a place, but certainly the technology that G2V put forward probably won't really have any major uptake in those markets for, for many years to come. The other thing that I feel like is happening right now is like a growing interest in renewable energy and solar energy. So does G2V help with that as well? Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and I think that this has been one of the places where we, we saw in that whole being impact driven and looking at food production as something awesome we could impact. Uh, if you look at generally what you know high energy society and a whole bunch of challenges that we have about population how much energy we use where do we get that energy what are the implications of using that energy generation and conversion and storage is a critical critical part of that and and the sources that we get it from and so g2v one our, our actual largest customer base uh is related to solar cells to photovoltaics and so we work with really early stage new types of materials. Uh, oftentimes, these are things like researchers developing material sets, which are far more sustainable from a mining perspective. You know, this is one of the challenges with semiconductor industries that often they use uh, elements which are challenging or rare or more harmful to mine. And so to say, oh, we're going to totally get solar power, you know, to get to 100% solar power, maybe we just run out of some of the elements and the ore that's required to do that. And so there's wow. researchers looking at how can we actually recreate these same semiconductor uh, effects with things that are more easy to come by. Um, and that's a different material science problem, uh, different chemistries, different uh, crystal structures and things like that. So often working with 
early stages of new material development, as well as later stages of scale up and testing of existing um, and, and coming online solar technologies. Currently, we work with, you know, I, I would say, probably over, over 100 of the leading solar cell uh, researchers and companies uh, around the world, which is Again, really fun to see kind of the, how, how the efficiencies are changing, how you know, solar panels have been available for decades. And I think in 2022, we're actually seeing the real adoption of solar energy is probably about to start. I did my PhD working on solar cell technology years ago, um, over, oh my goodness, maybe over a decade at this point. And then it seemed like we were ready to go and to see the kind of the gains in, in, in production and adoption in, in a whole bunch of areas. It's, you know, it's, it's really exciting to see. I think the onset of true mass adoption, I think, is, is on the way. That would be that would make a big difference if it was if we could yeah. get there. I yeah. guess. And this this is me as a uh, a lifelong you know I'm I'm, I'm an Alberta born, uh, you know obviously family that's worked in the energy sector for you know their their entire lives and so I think that we we may not experience this in our day to day lives even based on kind of some of the you know the sunlight that we get in the in the winter times and things like that. Edmonton is not the hotbed, but it's a, it's a big world out there and there's a lot of places where solar energy is economically becoming the most feasible, which is amazing. And I love it. Are there other ways that your work intersects with climate change solutions? When I think about the word sustainability, one of the things that we've got to work on that I always think about uh, is an Edmonton company, Wild and Pine. This is a, a, a company I'm a huge fan of that essentially they work in, in forestry and, and decarbonization and that, you know, a route to sustainability that's, that's, based on nature and and trees and and one of the you know awesome things that we've got to do with our indoor farming technology is enable them to grow tree seedlings at rates which they previously wasn't possible with traditional methods in greenhouses and so they're you know maybe getting to four turns a year instead of one uh, wow. of, of tree seedling growth which getting enough trees and seedlings and things like that to plant them is a, is a huge bottleneck and, and and challenge within within that industry. And so I think that looking for more natural, sustainable, holistic decarbonization solutions, that's one of the really cool things that I always think about and um, always brings a smile to my face, the, the work that we've we've got to do with them. Last time, I think, one of the last times Taproot interviewed you, GTV had just raised $2.6 million in growth capital. That was back in May of 2021. What's next on the investment front? Like, is that, are you still on that treadmill? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the beautiful thing, Karen, is that when, uh, when you hit that traction point, your customers start being uh, your primary funding source. Yeah. So that's been uh, a real dramatic change for us uh in the last 18 months and and so yeah that's the the last major capital that we that we raised we're actually in, in a really awesome position right now internally as a business where we you know we we don't we don't have to go out and raise capital right away but we're coming off of uh you know our kind of trailing 12 months of probably you know we're up over 100% revenue over 200% in um you know kind of our gross margins and we're we're really well situated. Our growth is happening really well. And so it's actually become all of a sudden our our ability to attack all of our growth at the same time becomes a limiting factor. And so that becomes the more exciting reason to go and raise more capital mm -hmm. is because new markets, new and improved products, 
new you know, people and processes. We've, you know, we've, we've grown, I think, added something close to 50% increase in staff uh, in the last 12 months. And so all of that momentum, um, I'm actually excited to, that we have, I think, an awesome opportunity to to raise more capital in the next 12 months. Uh, at the same time, I think that you know, folks who follow the tech investment community really closely, the, the last six months have, have not been a, a good signal. You've seen a ton of, you know, especially software company corrections and valuation changes and things of that nature. And so um, certainly one of the things that we're, we're watching closely, but we do have uh, yeah, some really exciting opportunities to raise more funds to keep up that momentum, which is, which is wonderful. Would you imagine going public or would you imagine getting acquired or like what's the exit for those investors that have been along with you so far? Yeah, I, I think that's always, you know, especially in early days, a always a tricky question. I, I will say that in our sector specifically, which I'd kind of classify as high tech, photonics, hardware, software combinations, their acquisition is the more likely route, like there's a lot, you know, a lot of really good use cases and you know, good valuations, good, what I'd call really great exit stories, where there are financial acquirers that create a kind of a, a subsidiary uh, out of that company, and so that's that's kind of more potentially more typical of in our specific industry, where uh, you know, an aerospace photonics publicly listed company, well come along and acquire a subsidiary that has a specific subset and just kind of say, you know, G2V, uh, whoever company. And so I think that that's one of the, one of the possible routes forward for a company like ours. And, and obviously, you know, we're a you know, ton of U of A grads, uh, we're, you know, been Edmonton based our entire time. And, and I think that, um, we have a lot of, a lot of talent that we'd be able to retain in, in Edmonton, you know, a lot of folks with advanced degrees, um, in these spaces that there aren't that many, companies doing what we do. And so I like the idea of an outcome like that, where we're able to um, have a, a, an ownership acquisition uh, from an investment perspective, but um, you know, retain an Edmonton footprint. What is it about Edmonton that's made this a good place to build this company? I've chosen to live here. I've, I've lived in other cities around the world. Uh, I, I think that we have... University of Alberta is a phenomenal institution um, that has created a lot of really, really wonderful talent, a lot of really, you know, remarkable research work uh, over the last 15 years. And so I think that that's one of the one of the places that Edmonton, you know, can really succeed when that institution is really well supported. And the other interesting thing, you know, for, for us, we have almost no customers in Edmonton. And so mm. it's been really an exercise in how do we reach the world from here uh and you see you know there, there's there's a lot of i think understanding about that at different levels of government that that's where you know that, that's, that's really advantageous right when we can be, you know drive export revenue right basically yeah. when, we, when we can sell to other tax jurisdictions that's a great yes. thing uh, <laughs> for, for our economy and um and and so there's nothing from that perspective you know, none of our customers say, "Oh, you're in Edmonton," or that hasn't given us a market edge. A market edge, but it's actually from day one kind of forced our thinking about how we reach the markets, the channels that we use, the way that we approach our digital advertising and our brand, and everything that's so direct towards being an international company. That, um, yeah, that, that's that's really in our DNA. It's making me think that a lot of the sort of shop local, procure locally thing 
Like I can see the value of that, but it is a kind of a way of like passing the same $20 back and forth, right? It doesn't inject new money into it from externally. So it is important that we have some businesses here whose customers aren't here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it, but I think that they, they work together really well, right? Companies like GTV and there's and so many others based in Edmonton that bring in international revenue. And then as a company, we try to support local businesses when we are using services that happen locally. Uh, and mm-hmm. then same thing when, you know, when our employees go out and it tends to be that we, you know, I, I think that when you attract people who want to work on big problems like contributing to, to, to renewable energy and food production, I, I would say even within a business culture, a lot of people who we have who are far more excited about supporting local business and all these kinds of things. So it is that, you know, at the beginning of that chain, making sure that $20 comes from somewhere else, but then passing it around the community then and increasing that, I think is, I'm no economist, but it seems like the exact right thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Makes sense. Um, Anything else that you'd like people to know about uh, what G2V Optics is doing or where it's going? We're growing and we're a keen, excited, uh, really hardworking team that gets to work on amazing and awesome, awesome problems. And so I expect that we'll, you know, we grew 50% over last year and I expect that we'll continue, you know, looking for awesome people to join our team. And that's something that I'm always excited to, to find those folks and bring them on board. Well, thank you so much for joining me and uh, to Space and Beyond. Wow, space. I would never have thought of space. Um, That's so exciting. I mean, I know, you know, space is a word we use a lot on this podcast. Seems like everybody's Mm -hmm. doing something in space, Uh, like Ryan mentioned even. Yeah. And you talked about Wyvern and and all of that. But um, wow, how phenomenal for an Edmonton based company to be able to work with NASA. And I, I know they're not the first company from Edmonton to be able to work with NASA, but I do feel like there's an interesting critical mass we're starting to to gain over here about how companies develop an innovation in Edmonton that's maybe not for people in Edmonton as much as it is for people around the world. Um, And I think it's so exciting that companies are proud of being from Alberta and continue to stay in Alberta, even when it doesn't it doesn't necessarily feel like they have to. Um, But that's yeah, Yeah. it's exciting. I, I, and I, th- it was the, the fact that so few of their customers are local, and, and and it was interesting to hear him talk about how that actually helps the ecosystem, mm-hmm. not only by bringing in new resources, but it trains people up, it gives people more opportunity, it just like creates some momentum inside of uh, that, even though they don't like there's there's not a there's no rockets being launched from from Alberta right now. Uh, it was also exciting to hear Ryan say that they've hit that traction point where customers are their primary source of funding instead of investment. I think that's that's where innovative ideas actually have to get to to make a real difference. Mm-hmm. That is really exciting. And uh, it must be a good feeling for them to to be able to be hiring so many folks. I know Ryan said they're they're looking for a lot of smart people in a lot of different areas, not just in the technical side of the business. Um, and I think that's where we often are lacking here in Edmonton, mm-hmm. is, you know, the marketing, business development, sales, uh, customer experience. You know, I think if we can start building more of those professionals and having great companies for them to work for, 
um, then that's a side of our talent ecosystem that we can really build on here and mm -hmm. will help serve so many more companies. Um, because I think, again, talent attraction, growing talent, all that stuff depends on what that talent is going to do when they're done graduating. And if there's a great place for them to be, then they're going to stay here, you know? So uh, I love that. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to chat about some news involving some of the service providers in the innovation space. Bloom is brought to you by Innovate Edmonton. Taproot's Mac Mail had a chat with a member of the Innovate Edmonton team. Here's a bit of that conversation. Mac here, co-founder of Taproot. And as we've done in the past on Bloom, I'm excited to bring another conversation to you with somebody from Innovate Edmonton. And joining me this time is Daryl Petras. He's the Director of Business and Community Development at Innovate Edmonton. And he's here to help us understand the programming that Innovate Edmonton offers to entrepreneurs and startups. Welcome to Bloom, Daryl. Thank you so much, Mac. Pleasure to be here. Maybe you could start by giving us just an overview of all the different things that Innovate Edmonton makes available to entrepreneurs in our region. Absolutely, absolutely. So I want to I want to offer this in the context of my own position. So as Director of Business and Community Development at Innovate Edmonton, I'm responsible for all entrepreneur-facing programs at the moment. And this really includes three program streams, not to oversimplify it, but Startup Edmonton, which many of your listeners have uh, heard of or are familiar with, Scale Up Edmonton, and Accelerate Edmonton. And just at a high level, uh, the idea is we want to support founders from napkin to traction and beyond. So we will do that through core-based learning. We will do that through deep one-to-one -one support. And by one-to-one, -one, I mean companies or founders who receive support from an expert, a single expert, or maybe um, a couple of experts through a couple of projects. And then, of course, Accelerate Edmonton focuses on Accelerate programming. Uh, two, two elements uh, to Accelerate Edmonton. I won't dive in too deeply because you've had my colleague, Don Newton, on the show before, and Indeed. she spoke to it. Um, however, I will say that you know, Accelerate Edmonton, the two functions are uh, one is to maintain our relationship and and uh, relationship with and work with the accelerators that Alberta Innovates has championed bringing to the province, 500 plug and play and CSW or uh, Community Safety and Wellness, as well as delivering in partnership with Platform Calgary, our Alberta Catalyzer pre-accelerator. So four accelerators come to mind and that program, Accelerate Edmonton, manages the relationships with each, and of course, delivers a platform Calgary. So a wide array of things. I want to go back to that phrase that you mentioned, napkin to traction. Probably most of our listeners are aware of what that means, but that's everything from, you know, I've got an idea, I write it down on the back of a napkin, to traction, which would be sales or um, users or some other metric that is growing. Is the idea that entrepreneurs and startups will interact with Innovate Edmonton's programs at every one of those stages or some of those stages? It certainly could be every one of the stages. And for some, it works really well. Others, uh, we like to think we offer support where support is needed. So some might have a strong foundation. They may come to us when they have, as we say, traction, which can take a couple of forms at least. Uh, it could be sales, as you mentioned, or customers in, uh, in waiting to purchase a uh, service or product. 
and the company might come to us while they're well into their business model and looking to scale up or build their network and approach the accelerators that we are supporting. It's great to have one place to go to access that wide array of services. This episode of Bloom is also brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Alberta Blue Cross understands that running a small business is tough, and they understand that business owners in Alberta are busy. Let Alberta Blue Cross give you peace of mind with a group benefit plan. They offer health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Alberta Blue Cross group benefit plans are easy to manage anywhere, anytime, and on any device, making it easy for you and your employees to access. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. All right, we're back. Uh, I was thinking about when I first met Ryan, um, and I think it was at launch party around 2016. Uh, launch party, of course, is has been one of the flagship events of Startup Edmonton, and, and I'm going to make that my segue into the next segment, <laughs> which is uh, um, uh, some big news that we saw about the soon-to-be former home of of Startup Edmonton. That's right. Uh, Work Nicer and uh, the Mercer Building, uh, Devin Pope, obviously, of the Gather Company, uh, have um, secured a deal where Work Nicer will be taking over the former Startup Edmonton space. Uh, They'll be moving in in the fall, and hopefully that means that we'll still be seeing some really exciting startups coming out of that Mm -hmm. building. Uh, We knew something was going to happen to the Mercer space when Innovate Edmonton announced plans for a new headquarters at 101st Street and Jasper Avenue. So now the other shoe has dropped. Uh, And I think it's interesting that it's Worknicer that's moving in. It's a co-working company based in Calgary. even more interesting that they're exp- apparently expanding rather than just moving their Beaver House locations. So uh, co-working certainly is something that has had a pandemic pivot and uh, Work Nicer seems to survive. Yeah. And you know what? It's it's telling maybe of what some companies are doing, um, even in companies that may be expanding to Edmonton. Maybe they don't want a big office or maybe folks that have a lot of uh, flexible work um, environments for their employees now. And I think with Work Nicer, I mean, I don't know about the other co-working companies in Edmonton, but I think Work Nicer has obviously validated their business model in terms of what is the right size and the right price for different levels of entrepreneurs. Um, and maybe they'll take over some more interesting buildings um, around the city and and kind of keep growing that brand here. I think I think there's definitely value in being close to a working co-working space uh, kind of like your gym, you know, you kind of want one within a stone's throw of all the important things that you do. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Another item that I wanted to draw listeners' attention to is the annual report for the Edmonton Regional Innovation Network, or ERIN, which um, Zach Storms of Startup TNT presented on June 28th. It's kind of his swan song as co-chair of the ERIN steering committee. Um, this caught my eye because we wrote about, uh, we wrote a story on Taproot in May of 2019 about ERIN being basically defunded by Alberta Innovates because it was deemed at that time to be kind of dysfunctional. 
tons of things have changed in that space uh, regarding the players and their relationship with the community and with the funders and with everything else. Erin was reconstituted, got its funding back, and now it has about $4.9 million to spend over the next three years, largely through Innovate Edmonton. Well, that's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria and Scott Lilwall. Our music is by Davon Beaker and cover art by Vicki Wersinski. Bye. Thank you.